0: Hi, my name is Sam Fudo, and welcome to the 10th episode of my podcast, Understanding Healthcare. Today, I spoke with Dr. Farouk Ergay, William R. and Margaret E. Athlins Chair and Professor of Pediatric Ophthalmology, Professor of Ophthalmology and Pediatrics at Case Western Reserve University, and Director of Pediatric Ophthalmology and Adults for Business at University Hospital's Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital. Among his many accomplishments, Dr. Erge also currently serves as the President of the International Pediatric Ophthalmology and Strabismus Council which works to preserve and restore eye health and enhance visual function in children, and ocular alignment and binocularity in children and adults throughout the world. We discussed how COVID-19 has impacted his clinical research and administrative work, the accelerated use of telehealth and improving patient care moving forward, and current trends and issues in pediatric ophthalmology. So, here's my interview with Dr. Farouk Erge.
1: Hi, Sam. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic.
0: Thank you so much for making the time.
1: Oh, it's an honor, of course.
0: So so my first question is, you know, as we're in the COVID-19 pandemic and slowly, you know, moving out of it as more people get vaccinated, how has COVID-19 you know, impacted your work and the clinical encounters that you have in with patients throughout the past year?
1: Uh, I think it's, a, it's a, such a loaded question and, and I'll try to decipher it in, in many ways. And, um, so you asked about the clinical aspect, but as you know, I've I'm, been I'm an academic institution. Right. And um, so it, it also, so uh, not only the patient and how we take care of patients have been affected and, and we learn quite a bit, and well, we can dive into that a little bit more. But, but everything around it has been very much affected too. Uh, that makes us who we are, like teaching, like research, and, and uh, how we communicate, how we get together. And uh, some of them are great. And uh, now we know that Zoom is fantastic and, and we can communicate And while we're driving or doing whatever we, we can. And we didn't have to be in certain places. But uh, uh, for the clinical aspects, uh, branches or departments like us, uh, we, no pun intended, I'm an ophthalmologist, but I'm fairly visual. So you need to kind of really see uh, in detail what you're doing. And telehealth has been, and uh, Sam, probably you don't know, maybe you do, but knowing you, you may you may know this already, that, that I've been involved with telehealth or telemedicine since 1998. And um, so we've, we've been looking into different aspects on remote access to expertise and fields like us is uh, really requires patients to be seen. And, and more so, uh, we are in very close proximity to, with people, and we see a lot of people. so if you think about uh, for me to be able to look at your eye or anybody's eye, uh, well, we're kind of at an arm's length distance if not really face-to-face.
2: Right.
1: Um, So with the COVID-19, that just was not an easy thing to do. And -hmm. and think about uh, further in pediatric ophthalmology that a two-year-old Susie uh, needs an examination and she doesn't want to wear a mask either. And, and I have no idea if she's contracted COVID-19 or not. So it just put a lot of stress on us.
2: Yeah. And
1: and uh, the WHO had identified that dentistry and so funny enough pediatric ophthalmology was, the, was in the highest risk in, in routine care. Obviously yeah. I'm not talking about critical care that of, and, and the frontline uh, people have been uh, immersed in COVID-19 and, and related problems, but at least that was the exposure that's why um, it, things had to be very, very different um, to, to really take care of our patients. But what, what happened is silver lining to this, and I was kind of getting to that also. I don't know, I don't know how much you've heard, yeah. but over the 20 years, the aspect that, that the ophthalmology and, and many other aspects of telehealth was being trying to be pushed, um, really kind of excelled in, in one year. We we had more jumps and leaps in one year than than two two decades prior to that. So that was a that was a fantastic push. Uh, We learned quite a bit, Um, and uh, many of the uh, facilities and and um, uh, law. Let's put it that way, because it had to be kind of all the way up there, and and it was kind of allowed to for us to do certain things that we were not uh, before. So that those were the big, big, big changes for us.
0: Yeah, and 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 we we would always you know talk about this at my house, which is you know in those early months, you know, my dad was still going to the office like many of, of you, and we, we you know we were always you know he was like they were seeing patients in person like you said, and it was very very high risk at that moment, and certainly there have been uh, changes since then to make things safer. Um, what you know, sort of touching on what you were just uh, talking about. Uh, you know, healthcare is such a sort of like a team sport. There are so many different uh, players and so many different uh, uh, types of professionals in healthcare. What do you believe are the major takeaways in that regard throughout the past year in, in working in the in-person, but also the virtual environment and sort of still being, uh, doing the work with other people together?
1: Um, it, it, is, it, it is important. And actually we all uh, are feeling it um, as a society, not only in the field, but as a society that um, we realize more and more how connected and how uh, connected we are, we, and how much we want to be connected. Uh, it really has been affecting people's psyche in, uh, overall. And that, uh, I don't care what you do, who you are, uh, we are social creatures, and, and, um, and, and you kind of need that integration, you need that interaction, you need that uh, environment to be who you are. Uh, we learn from each other, we teach each other, we kind of uh, gain strength with, from each other. Um, so all these things are needed. Now, if you expand that to the healthcare and what we do, I, then, then we mentioned about the, the teaching and the, and the research, they, they all stopped. It, it came to a bare minimum in the sense that um, it just we lost a lot of opportunity because, for example, um, if I was doing a surgery Mm-hmm. Uh, I was not allowed to have more than one person with me, which sometimes I have five, six people just observing.
2: Right. right. Um,
1: so th- these opportunities are kind of um, um, unfortunately is gone and you can't freeze a residency or fellowship. It just keeps going. Yeah. Um, so what you get out of these rotations or in from medical school um, is unfortunately kind of lost. Mm-hmm. And medical students are not allowed to come and shadow uh, a lot of people and, 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 uh, and providers. So that's that aspect now on top of that uh, we used to get together we used to discuss we used to kind of um uh, j- just not only socially a bit but actually as as providers we we always communicate we, we right. use emails and that then it go away so I, i'm not saying that the communication is less and and i can tell you in many ways it was it's more than ever <laughs> um, but this human touch right. one-on-one yeah. shaking hands Looking into one person's eye, and, and having this hearty conversation, uh, is not there. And I think that that is a that that is a big loss. It really is. It reminded us how, how important that is.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and as you've said, you know, you're not only involved in clinical care, but also, as you said, academia and research. Uh, can you speak to? I guess this is more uh, ophthalmology specific, but can you speak to some of the research you've done and some of the you know important trends or issues? we're seeing in in ophthalmology and pediatric ophthalmology moving forward, has there been any sort of trends that you've seen this year uh, that have risen due to the pandemic or just generally moving forward? Um,
1: So yes, we have done research particularly to do with that. And and, uh, Sam, I happen to be um, serving as the the president of the International Pediatric Ophthalmology and Sturbismus Council. So this is the council uh, you need to be a membership to be a member meaning our american um, association of pediatric ophthalmology is a member to this council so i get to um, hear and talk with and work with um, people physicians leaders from all around the world and they're representing their own countries and country societies so we did actually surveys on on how the the covid had impacted them and there were two two uh, surveys that I can tell you, because I have, we have the results that's about to be hopefully published is, uh, one is for example, um, uh, well, retinopathy of prematurity. where uh, very tiny babies, they're born premature. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they have problems in their eyes and they need to be attended to. And and, and if you don't see them in, in certain intervals and, you, and if the disease has progressed they can go blind uh, literally in days. Mm-hmm. So this is a not a trivial problem, and, and it affects them for the rest of their life, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, so a, a constant and, and a very uh, tight scheduled observation and examination needs to be done weekly to every two weeks uh, in a schedule as such. With the COVID-19, that was significantly affected. Uh, that people actually in the survey, during the survey, which we were doing this while the, the COVID-19 was a little more active. Now we know a little bit uh, different, a uh, little more of what, what's going on. But people were fearing uh, that unfortunately, a lot of baby, babies will lose their sight because of this uh, fear and, and, uh, and, and the, the condition that actually, put us put all, not only the patients, but also the, the clinics and, and the logistics altogether. Uh, and and mind you not, these are the babies that have the priority, meaning we bend over backwards to see the babies as such when they're in this condition. Similarly, a uh, number one uh, reason after need for glasses uh, for child child blindness, uh, preventable child blindness is actually an entity called amblyopia, uh, or you can call it lazy eye, where the the brain somehow ignores one eye or both eyes, then then the eye doesn't see as much as they should be. Mm. Uh, This needs a very tight follow-up and they need to come to the clinic. And if you uh, halt this, and if you do not monitor what's going on a year, and Mm. unfortunately it did happen for some patients, not because the clinics were not open, but they were scared to come in. Uh, We know again, through these surveys that it really has affected everybody around the world. And and this is this is such a big impact there really
0: is. Yeah. And, and, and uh, it's such an important point because what you're saying is, you know, is, is I always say, people say, well, when are we going to get back to normal? And I always say, well, I don't really know what the new normal looks like, but the key thing is we might actually, like, not now, but a year out, you know, we might actually be ready to uh, not wear masks, but the key is when do people feel ready to go out and do things? It's not when it is actually ready, it's when do people, and that might be even a longer time, you know? Um, You're uh,
1: correct. And, I, I think we're tainted in such a, such a uh, different way and uh, people are cautious and mm-hmm. and who knows? Now, now you get to kind of understand a little bit more on, on cultural differences. Like when you go to um, Asia in particularly, um, shaking hands, hugging is not a common thing, right? So they kind of bow from a distance. Who knows? Maybe they did come across with these pandemia or infections that this is how they protected themselves.
2: Right. Right.
1: Um, and, and I think we're going to get kind of see that more and more
0: in, in different cultures and, and uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Right. Yeah. Like Ab- life is going to be different. A- absolutely. And this is my second last question. But how did how did you first you know become interested in medicine and I guess ophthalmology more specifically? And was there anything that sort of inspired you uh, to go into uh, that area?
1: Um, the, the medicine is, is uh, I, I think the center of all was my mother. Uh, my mother, uh, her well, father, uh, uncle, um, her brother, uh, husband, now son, and who knows, maybe grandchildren. Uh, she did pass away, though, but, but that's what she always wished for. Um, she had a lot of doctors around her. I, and I think I grow, growing up in that uh, environment, uh, seeing that through your mouth, mouth, mother's eye the respect that she had for the profession she was not a physician herself she's an economist she was an economist but um i think that that had to be tainted uh, that had to taint me in my decision but um uh, i can tell you i did test myself and if i really 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 like this profession or not in so many different professions and actually my math- mathematics uh, in particular was 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 much, I think, better than anything else that I was kind of performing, enough that my father uh, said, you know what, Baruch, I, I think uh, you may do better if you become an engineer. Yeah. And and he pressured me enough that uh, in a standardized test, you go through a standardized test and you kind of get a list of where you're going to apply for universities and colleges. And, and he made me write engineering, and, and, and which I didn't, And but he, but he did. So I'm glad I didn't become an engineer. Nothing against engineers. I work with them all the time and I admire them, but it was the, the human touch uh, uh, that, that I was really looking into it. And I I've never regretted what I did. I, I love doing what I do. Then then becomes the pediatric ophthalmology. Why pediatric ophthalmology? Well, again, um, I, I'm in a lucky state that I got to see it. My father is a ophthalmologist. He's also a strobismologist and he can call the pediatric ophthalmologist. Then. And uh, so I've seen... Uh, Uh, through his experience, I really did work for him and with him. Mm -hmm. And I saw the patients, how they were looking at my father, how they were hugging and appreciating everything that, so that that left an amazing impression on me. Um, But I just like the the engineering and the medicine thing. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, At the end of my, I I, I graduated from Turkey and and the medical school is six years. Mm -hmm. And the last year is an internship. So you do all your rotations before that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the ophthalmology was my last, literally the last rotation that I was going to do. Um, and I tried to fall in love. And I thought I did with, with other uh, uh, departments and other uh, uh, portions or, or different divisions in, in, in medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as soon as I, I entered the ophthalmology, it was like coming back home for me. Yeah. and it felt so right and and then it comes to pediatric ophthalmology it's not only my father uh, my, my mentor he's, he continues to be one mm-hmm. um dr gene helveston who is one of the fathers of pediatric ophthalmology i got to do research with him and uh, mm-hmm. before my residency for two years and that's the telemedicine that we we started many moons ago through orbis and cyberside mm-hmm. um that the, the Again, the, the spark, the education, the the integrity, the the passion that, that, that I saw through him, mm-hmm. and and many other mentors along the way, uh, really uh, singed the, the what, what I what I what I wanted from life and, and what I wanted to be, and uh, it's such an amazing thing. Uh, I really advise. I mean, it's it's. I think you can advise, uh, but it's somewhat a luck, um, and it is a lot of choice. So. Uh, finding a passion really makes um, a, a huge difference, not only for you, but for everybody around you. Mm. Uh, you can feel the difference on when a person really loves their job. Mm. I don't care uh, who that person is. Mm. Uh, they could be greeting uh, people at Walmart. They could be uh, uh, physicists. They could be whatever. But if they really have a true passion, it shines. Right. Uh, and, and, uh, and every morning, even if I'm tired, Waking up and my wife was telling me that, and I've been, I think, a physician for 25 years now. And she said, I don't remember you uh, moaning or complaining about waking up in the morning ever yeah. to go and see your patients. And I never heard you say that you you had a bad day uh, in a sense that uh, you didn't like your job, whatever. And it, she was kind of naturally mentioning this. and And it is so true. I, I never did and, and I, I'm
0: just in a very happy place is all I'm saying. I'm lucky. Yeah, absolutely, and, and, and last question, you sort of got to this towards the end, but for, for young people who are interested in medicine, and, and you know, what advice would you give based on your career, the tremendous accomplishments that you've uh, had and made so far, your lived experiences, and just the topics we've discussed today, is there any advice you would give?
1: One advice is again, as you said, I kind of touched to this already. You, one has to be it truly listen to themselves. Um, it, it is an important decision. Uh, it not only defines you, um, but it but affects you and everybody around you finding the, the, your true path, your true north, whatever that is. And it shouldn't be because your mother or father told you so, or it, it looked whatever. And you need to be also true on why you like it. I mean, some people go in for money. Uh, some, some people go for fame, Some whatever that profession is. Um, medicine, I really do believe that it, it has to be about patients. Right. It has to be. It, it's not about us. It's actually how we get to take care of them and help them out. Mm. And if you put patients in the heart of everything, um, then... Then the teaching falls around it, the research falls around it, you evolving falls around it naturally happens. Yeah. Um, and, and if the patients really truly understand that you are there to help them, and if you don't know, you'll find the answer, you'll do your best to find your answer, it resonates. Don't we all want that from physicians? Yeah. And, and I really advise them never to forget this. Every um, state of their career is down the road, whatever they're doing, they should always think why they got into this, and, and and be true to themselves, and if it is for the patient, just keep that in the in the center for everything that they do. Everything naturally falls around that, and and not, uh, that that has served me um, amazingly well. Is all I'm saying.
0: Um, Dr. Erge, thank you so much for making the time today. It really means a lot uh, that you can be with me today. My pleasure, Sam. It's always a pleasure to see you, and, and thank you for having me. I'm Absol- honored. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope my interview with Dr. Arge was both informative and inspiring through his tremendous accomplishments and drive to care for patients. He is someone I look up to, and I really appreciated having him on the podcast today. I hope you all are doing well and staying safe. And remember, we can't just consume healthcare. We have to understand it.